Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program on this Tuesday morning, the day after, of course, our World Cup win. Thanks for joining us on SEN 1170am rather in Sydney, wherever you tuned in via the SEN app. We're off to a flyer this morning, aren't we? Scotty Bailey's going to join me from AAP. A lot to cover with Scott. Simon Hill, host of the global game, of course, the Socceroos in action early tomorrow morning. And Phil Murphy from ESPN will do a bit of a international American sweep with Phil from basketball through to golf. I've got some news on the golf front for you, um, which has only just happened in the last couple of hours. And it's one of those weird ones. It's around Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy's new league that they were trying to start, the virtual golf league. It's going to be put on hold. So we'll cover all of that. And NFL, of course, with Phil this morning. So a little bit later on, we've got the rematch of Super Bowl 57. At 12.15 is the start, and you can catch this on NFLGamePass.com. So Kansas City Chiefs v Philadelphia Eagles. Last time they met, the Chiefs, of course, won the Super Bowl 38-35. to So coming into this, it's Kansas City 7-2 and against the Eagles 8-1. and So that match will be starting just after we go off air, but we'll get all the latest with Phil Murphy on that. And your call on 1300 01 1170 this morning. I want you to answer me this. Are we in a sporting lull? Can we officially say that we've hit a sporting lull? <laughs> I mean, we've had an absolute World Cup-a-thon that's been going, it seems, all year. Every single sport, couple of years, every single sport's been having a World Cup. And off the back of Australia's amazing win over there in India and ahead of the T20s, which we'll talk about in just a second, we've got a little bit going on. There's enough to sort of talk about, but are we? can we officially call this a sporting lull? Or is this the space that you needed for a bit of a reset? Are you feeling a little bit down and lonely today in the sporting sense? Because there's nothing jumping out of us out at us in terms of these massive events that we've had just coming at us left, right and centre from every single sport. And if that's the case, what else do you want to talk about? Quite often we sit here and go, give me your opinion on this. You tell me the answer to this. Finish the sentence to that. Well, I'm going to hand it over to you. What else do you want to talk about? If we are officially in a sporting lull, and these days sporting lulls, what, do they last 24 hours, Maybe. I mean, probably be lucky if we get to midday and the sporting lull's over and done with. So why don't you let us know what else you want to talk about this morning. It can be sport, can be away from sport, movies, holidays, net, whatever you want to talk about. Let, let me let you direct the conversation this morning with your call, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Paddy Cummins says that cup win over there in India is the pinnacle. It's hard to disagree and legends are agreeing with him. He said, even if you have a 10-year career, you might only get two shots at a cup. And the whole cricket world stops with this World Cup so it doesn't get any better. He's lapping it up and so he should be. And then you see some quotes from some of our all-time greats. Adam Gilchrist called it one of the finest victories in our sporting history. I love the quote this morning in the article from Alan Border in the News Limited papers. AB said, Paddy Cummins called a bowl first was one of the bravest decisions I've seen from a cricket captain. We discussed this yesterday, and we discussed the fact that India were planning to bat first anyway. 
But when you've got somebody like AB saying that's one of the bravest decisions I've seen from a cricket captain, it's time to listen. And of course, the post-mortem about India's performance and why they can't get over the hump at the final hurdle as often as they should be has been dissected left, right and centre. And I reckon one of the best quotes that I've seen this morning is this. Australia won because they were not afraid to lose. And that speaks probably more to India than it does to Australia. The Aussies won because they were not afraid to lose. India, especially in that scene, at that time, on that stage, had everything to lose. And in the end, they played like it. Meanwhile, get ready to go again. Because if there is a sporting lull, it's going to be over in cricket terms by Friday morning. But you've got to wonder why. Australia v India, T20s, here we come, a five-match series. Now, it'll start Friday morning at 12.30 a.m., Friday morning our time. So I can't imagine there's going to be too much interest in this aside from once it starts to get moving and then we start to recap it in the mornings and we start to get the back end of it. But it's incredible, isn't it? They've just finished a World Cup. There were, what, 48 matches in, in, in total in the World Cup. And just a few days later, they're going to roll out T20 matches, five of them. Just a few days later, Andrew McDonald will be heading home to rest and also prepare for the summer ahead in the test matches ahead, which means that Andre Borovic will be in charge of the senior team for the first time. Hasn't played any first-class cricket, but he's highly regarded throughout the coaching circle. So Australia will have a brand-new coach, and I dare say that very few people know who Andre is, but he'll be in charge. And, of course, we'll be resting at least five senior players, Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, Josh Hazelwood, Mitch Marsh, Cameron Green, all returning home. The squad will be captained by Matthew Wade. So it's a fair question to ask, are you all cricketed out before the season here, the summer season, has really started? It's been absolutely fantastic, the World Cup over there, but... Do we need five T20 matches off the back of it just to fill the coffers even more? Let me know your thoughts on that. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number or 0457-736-736. WBBL continues, of course. And we've had more than 40 matches in the WBBL so far. In fact, 47 matches with 10 to go. So this afternoon at Cricket Central out there at Sydney Olympic Park, 3 o'clock start for the Sydney Thunder and Adelaide Strikers. And then 7.10pm tonight, Brisbane Heat v Sydney Sixers up there in uh, Brizzy at Allen Border Field, which then takes us to the Stadium Series. On Friday, there'll be a double header at the Adelaide Oval, Heat and Thunder, and then Strikers in Perth. On Saturday at the MCG, Stars and Renegades. And on Sunday at the SCG, Sixers against the Thunder. And the WBBL and those clubs in particular, the Sixers and the Thunder, are pushing for give us a record attendance at the SCG next week. Let's see if we can break the standalone WBBL game of 15,511. That came when the Scorchers in Perth won the title, the 07 title that was WBBL 07 at Optus Stadium back in 2021. So they're looking for 15,500 to beat. I, I think the problem here is 
if you've been following the WBBL as we have, and I love the format, I love the competition, I love everything about it, and I love the women's game, the crowds have been very, very, very small. In fact, we don't have any crowd numbers whatsoever. We, we cannot find any crowd numbers for the 47 matches so far in WBBL. So there's clearly a policy here not to release them. If somebody knows any different, please tell me. And this is not a shot at the WBBL at all in terms of crowds, but what happens when they get to the stadium series? Are they going to release the crowds then and then only, or do they not count? Are we missing something here? I'd love to see a massive crowd out there at the SCG for the Sixers and Thunder. And I love the idea of the stadium series because it puts WBBL at the big stages, at those big events. But are we going to get the numbers that we're hoping for? Well, we don't know what the numbers are. So let's see if we can get some transparency around that. So just on golf, Tiger and Rory's virtual league is going to be delayed until 2025. It's a weird one, this one. The whole thing about it's a little bit weird. It's all based on technology and it's all designed to fit into ESPN over in the US. Essentially, it's meant to stick mainly inside the college basketball primetime hours. Takes two hours to do this 15-hole match that they were going to do, or 15-hole matches. And it was all meant to be played in Florida. But... They had some damage to the arena that was going to take too long to repair. A six-team league that was meant to debut in January and finish before the Masters in April. Backed, of course, by Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods. But then they had a power failure at the place and the backup systems failed, which damaged the air-supported dome section that they were going to play in. 250,000 square foot arena in Florida and they can't fix it in time they're saying six teams were going to play into it big big names had signed up and you're hitting longer shots onto a screen that's 20 times larger than a standard golf simulator and closer shots are played to a high-tech green complex that rotates and creates different shots so they were going to play over 15 holes and now they're going to delay it until 2025 i dare say we might not see this at all They've given it a fair crack. They've had a big push, and it's out of their hands, of course, that there's a temporary power system failure. But if they're delaying it already until 2025, I'm not sure where it's going to head. And also the virtual golf, is that going to get us out of a lull? Trying to get themselves out of a lull is Rugby Union, of course. So the next Wallabies coach, we we know that the new Rugby Australia chairman is Daniel Herbert. So Dan Herbert faced the cameras yesterday He was elected as the new chair. They wanted a a change in direction and a release of all the distraction that's been going on. So they bid farewell to Hamish McLennan, who also resigned from the board of Rugby Australia completely. It's now in the hands of Dan Herbert, and he has committed to making sure that they give Phil Waugh, the CEO, all of the power that he needs and the backing that he needs. Dan Herbert has said, "I'll, I'll be there as much as I need to be, but... This is about the CEO. The interesting part here is that one of the first things that we know is that the Wallabies or Rugby Australia will appoint a high-performance director, a full-time high-performance director. Now, you might ask, why haven't they got one in the first place? Which is a good question. 
They have one back in 2018-19 when Michael Checker was coach and Scott Johnson was there as the high-performance director, essentially to oversee Michael Checker and, and what he was doing. So now Dan Herbert has said, we'll appoint one in the coming weeks. We haven't gone to market for a Wallaby coach and we won't until we place the high-performance director. He said, I've been trying to get the point across that changing the coach doesn't fix what's going on right now. We have to put the foundations in place, and that starts with a good high-performance director that can come in and run the process to find the coach and make sure we find the right fit for our playing group and the right person who can address some of the team's shortcomings. So the high-performance director will find the coach and oversee the Wallabies coach. That's a really key point. It's happened elsewhere. It's happened here before, but it's happening at the moment with Ireland, for instance. They've had David Nusifora there and Andy Farrell coaching. So you've got the high-performance director model already there. What does that mean for the next Wallabies coach who will have to report to a high-performance director? Does it mean that the Wallabies coach is second in command? How does that work? And does that narrow or broaden the field of those that want to take the job, knowing that they've got that overseeing role there to deal with all their troubles. Or perhaps it's the other way. It's an interesting part. They're hoping to appoint a new Wallabies coach by February before the Super Rugby season starts in 2024. In football, the Socceroos play Palestine tomorrow morning our time in Kuwait City. And as we've said consistently on this program, it's going to be a very different game of footy essentially, a very different international. They landed on Friday, the Socceroos. They've also decided to donate a percentage of their match fees to the ongoing humanitarian efforts in the Gaza Strip. Palestine's coach has said, our players are not in the right frame of mind. No matter how hard we may try to get their focus on the games, it's natural. They're worried about their families, relatives and friends. That's the truth. Obviously, we have to play the qualifiers. We'll do our best and hope for some good results, which I believe can bring a little happiness to our people. Three of the Palestine uh, team, uh, three of their best players have been ruled out of this camp because they couldn't get out of Gaza in time to join the squad. So there's much more than a game of soccer at play here tomorrow morning in Q8 City. Neutral venue, of course. I'll speak to Simon Hill about all this later on, and the Australians go there in good faith with the right intentions. And it's going to be very interesting to see how all involved deal with that stage because there's a lot more behind it. A shout-out at the New South Wales Sports Awards held last night in Darling Harbour to um, some of those that received gongs. Athlete of the Year goes again to Jess Fox. Tokyo gold medalist, of course, our most decorated, the world's most decorated canoe slalom athlete. It's the fifth time she's won the New South Wales Sports Awards Athlete of the Year. The Athlete of the Year with a disability, Lauren Parker, a double world champion para-athlete in both para-triathlon and para-cycling. And it's the fourth time that Lauren has won the award. So congratulations. How's this for Coach of the Year in New South Wales? Miriam Fox, Gerald Sami, Jess Fox's mum and coach. And that's the first time that she's won that. The Penrith Panthers of the New South Wales Sports Team of the Year and congratulations to the one and only Lane Beachley, seven-time world surfing champion who's been elevated to legend status. She becomes the 24th legend 
on that list and the first surfer to do so. So there's some great names, some great teams, and um, congratulations to everybody involved in that one. In rugby league, of course, so there's a whole heap of news around and uh, the boys have been talking about it this morning. Siwa Wong has extended his contract to stay at the Roosters until the end of 2026. Michael Jennings, a conditional clearance to sign a train and trial contract for the pre-season. Matt Moylan, of course, is now officially off to Super League as well, signing a two-year deal with the Lee Leopards, uh, despite having another year to run on that Cronulla contract. So he leaves the NRL after 191 games, 89 of those with the Panthers, 102 with the Sharks, Test for Australia and three State of Origins as well. So good luck to Matty Moylan. Um, we wish you very well in your next endeavours. 0457 736 736 is the text line. Are we in a sporting lull, folks? Let me know your thoughts around that. How do we get out of it? What else can we talk about until some more sport comes barreling our way? Come and join that conversation right here on your home of sport in Sydney, SEN. Thanks to the Western Sydney Eagle who says, let's talk about the V8s at Adelaide this weekend. That's the last day of school for a few of the drivers. Will they take a win-it-or-bin-it approach? Well, we'll have full coverage Saturday and Sunday uh, from midday through to 6 o'clock. Of course, Aaron Noonan um, directing traffic, so to speak, there. But it's the championship decider, Western Sydney Eagle. I'll put that on my little list and we'll get back to that and we can get your thoughts on that. Uh, one thing we do know, it'll be the last time that we see Shane Van Gisbergen driving in supercars before he heads over to the US. But I'll break down what it means in terms of the um, championship chase. But it's between him and Brody Kostecki on the weekend. And the numbers are pretty interesting, especially if it goes to countback, if they end up tied or yeah, if they end up on the same amount of points. Thank you, Western Sydney Eagle. We can certainly talk about that. So I'm writing down a little list. We'll talk about the eights at Adelaide. Uh, this is our list to get over the lull our lull-breaking list. In regards to your question, says Stu, are we all cricketed out? In short, no. But, and it's a big but, if CA decide to rest, in inverted commas, our World Cup players during our home ODI series against the Windies, then it's a huge problem. We deserve to see our world champs play at home, regardless of the opposition or schedule. This series will most likely be the last time we get the chance to see Warner and Smith playing 50-over cricket. They and we, the fans, who put bums on seats, deserve the send-off. I'm not holding my breath, though. They have a history of rolling out a second 11 at home on the pretext of resting players and building a squad for the next World Cup, despite this one just finishing. I've lost count of the amount of times we rocked up to the SCG, only to hear that Gilly or Binger, etc., were being rested. Please, CA. Let us see our best players playing this summer. It's a it's a good plea, Stu. Um, thank you for that. And let's hope that Cricket Australia are listening to that. And again, let's not forget too of the amount of cricket that they've played as well. I mean, you, you can't deny players playing in a World Cup year, in a World Cup event. So there, there's just... You know, no denying that. It's whether or not they're up to it. And, and let's hope that everyone's good one, uh, good with that. Shane, thank you for your shout-out on the DAB radio. We'll have a look at that. So we'll get our text to have a little look-see. Uh, I'm coming through loud and clear in my own headphones. So I'm hoping I'm coming through loud and clear enough. But uh, if there's an issue there, we'll check that out. But appreciate that. 0457 736 736 is the text line. I'm gobsmacked, says Mike, that Glenn Maxwell 
is in the best international one-day site. I know he talked a bunch of um, Netherlands who have jobs and play cricket part-time. Tell me I'm wrong, but as I look at the rest of the batting side, they aren't big on the step away to leg, yee get out shot. <laughs> but they are big on strike rate and consistently effective performance against every country. That's a very good take, Mike. Not a bad take at all on that one. Scotty Bailey will join me after the 9.30 news. We'll get to all the latest news in rugby league and cricket as well. And also throughout the course of the morning, I'll play you some audio from both the new Rugby Union Australia chairman, Rugby Australia chairman Dan Herbert, and the outgoing chairman in Hamish McLennan, who says there was a coordinated campaign against him. So Hamish McLennan has had a bit to say yesterday and overnight about all of that. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is our open line number. It's your call today. Whatever you want to talk about, I'm going to put it on our list to get out of our sporting lull and we'll go and dig a little bit deeper into some stats and facts and opinions and thoughts and the lot. So V8s, is there anything else you want to shout out, folks? Just let me know. Let's head to the SEN newsroom and then we'll be joined by Scotty Bailey from AAP. Thank you, Vanessa. A text line from Oscar says, I'm wondering why in the 1987 World Cup, so you've obviously been going back through a bit of history here, all the teams were wearing white clothing. I thought that coloured clothing came into one day in international cricket a lot earlier. It actually came in in 2000. So all ODI cricket since December 2000 has been played in coloured clothing. Um, Before that, whites were... Um, in vogue, so to speak. So cricket whites all the way up to December 2000. I would have thought the same, Oscar. That's a that's a good one to make us think outside the square this morning, which is what we're doing right here on SEN. Scotty Bailey joins me from AAP. Good morning, Scott. Morning, Matty. How you doing? I'm good, thanks, mate. Hey, we were having a chat this morning. I was I was thinking out loud, especially off the push from the WBBL. Thunder and Sixes to try and get a, a record crowd to the SCG for the stadium series. It's been it's been really hard to find any WBBL crowd numbers this year. What what does your intel at AAP tell you? Yeah, so they they definitely publicise them for the New South Wales matches. I've covered the vast majority of the ones in Sydney, and um, we're certainly told the crowd in the media box. I, I assume that's the same around the country. Whether the crowd gets published is a is another story. I know, frankly, I don't tend to write the crowd into my story just because I don't believe it's significant enough part of the story. To, you know, if, if they got 20,000 in the game, you're right. If, if they got one person in the game, you're right. But if you get 2,500, which you know, I think is the average at North Sydney Oval thereabout this year, it's sort of, I don't consider it worthy enough to have in the story to be, you know, and not, that's not to say it's not a good crowd. It's just not notable as far as the story goes, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're certainly available. I think yes, North Sydney Oval tends to get two and a half. I think they got fifteen hundred out at Cricket Central at Silverwater on Saturday, which I'm surprised you could fit that many into that ground, given it's essentially the corner where fans can sit. But um, yeah, the stadium series is interesting because it's sort of like like you say, they're trying to break a record of fifteen and a half thousand at the SCG on Sunday. Cricket Australia has been pretty hesitant to say what crowds they want at the MCG and Adelaide Oval and to the there also the SCG before these comments the other day. Um, because, you know, my, my gut feel is that, yeah, anything below 10 would be a failure, for being honest. It'd be very disappointing. Uh, anything close to 20 would be an excellent result. 14, 15 is about par. I'm not sure if I'll get it. 
Um, and, and it sort of dictates where the future of this competition goes in some ways because like I know there are uh, clubs like the Adelaide Strikers who would love to use the Adelaide Oval all the time. Uh, for the Sydney clubs, I think the SCGs, that just the cost of operating it would be difficult to go there a lot. But my, you know, my gut feel is this competition is going to go shorter next year to a 40-game regular season, the same as the men's. And ideally, Cricket Australia have this idea where um, you know, probably two, I'd say two-fifths to a half of matches, so 20, 25, ma- oh, sorry, 15 to 20 matches are played in uh, the big stadiums, the rest remain in the suburban grounds. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a really important weekend for the WBBL, actually. Mm, yeah, and they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. If they, if they don't go there, they'll never know, as in the stadium series. I, I mm. like the... F- I like the fact that they're doing it, but when they do go there and, you know, you're playing at the MCG, 100,000-seat stadium, and if they've got 10,000 there, it's always going to look bad, and that's going to be the highlight. And, and the point of this discussion this morning was not to highlight that. It was to say, okay, well, where are the numbers, first of all, as in where are we at, and what can we genuinely mm. expect if we if it's very, very hard to find the numbers? I was watching... Um, mate, excuse me, it was either Sixers or Thunder. It was against the Hobart Hurricanes last week, but it was down there in Tassie, and there was there were next to no people there. And just on the coverage, it, yeah. just, looked, it just looked really, really ordinary. And it makes you wonder, you know, you've got to say, for instance, this afternoon, you've got a match out there at Cricket Central at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. I mean, you know, what are you going to get out of that aside from coverage on TV, which is great for us to watch, but Thunder playing the Strikers on a Tuesday <clears> afternoon at 3 o'clock, it, it's sort of a bit weird, this whole scheduling thing. Yeah. I mean, the schedule has improved somewhat from last year, but there's still yeah, some issues there. Like, I think the biggest challenge they've got is, so we talk about playing in suburban grounds, but there's no light to the world of these suburban grounds, so therefore you can't play the game in prime time, which is when ideally you'd be playing these games. North Sydney Oval obviously being the exception, but it's the same at Junction in Melbourne. Um, so then you end up with a lot of Monday night games in Hobart, which just notoriously does not get crowds. It's, it's, let's be honest, it's really poor down there, um, the crowds they're getting. So I think part of the solution long-term is, and there was a bit of pushback from the States this year because Cricket Australia wanted to go to the 40-game system and there were two states, uh, my understanding, who, who pushed back on a, a bit concerned about the AFLW being able to take over October. And the uh, domestic players who don't play international level, a lot of them were pretty keen to go a longer season unless there was a suitable replacement um, for them, you know, something else for them to play because this is their, this is their number one right, event, right? This is the pinnacle of their summer. So but ideally, I think Cricket Australia thinks if you go to a 40-game season, you could then have... Yeah, effectively Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday games. You get rid of these midweek games that are, let's be honest, they're just the fat on top of the of the um on top of the meal and uh, you know, don't get crowds. All of a sudden if you do that, the competition looks in far better shape than what it probably is at the moment, I would suggest. Yeah. Your thoughts around Australia spinning from a World Cup win to a five-game T20 series. Um, we'll have some players coming home, of course the coach as well, but it's kind of like talking about filling the coffers. I mean, it's it's kind of like, what? why are we doing this yeah. so quickly? <laughs> we know why we're doing it, because India want to do it. They'll get big money out of it. And there's big broadcast money around the world of it. But it's a, it's another weird one. It, it's just like, you know, sort of overcooking things a little bit too much. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think if we thought the uh, Australia v. England ODI series out here last summer was low-profile and 
uh, let's be honest, a little bit of a waste of space, then this series coming up is you know, even more so. A couple of things to look out for. Steve Smith stays in there, stays over there for at least the few, first few matches. I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves India after, say, the first three. But um, he'll likely open the batting in at least a couple of these games, which is a bit of an eye towards next year's T20 World Cup. If you cast your mind back to last summer, uh, Smith blitzed it for the Sydney Sixers but was left out of some of the games for Australia at the World Cup that's gone just before that. He, he has spoken about opening being his ideal position um, in T20 cricket. Uh, there is a World Cup in the Caribbean and the Amer- and USA next June. So there's a bit of an eye towards that for Australia. So there's that part of it. Um, you know, Travis Head stays over there. Warner at this stage is staying over there. So they're the things to look forward to. But yeah, Maddie, at 12.30 on Friday morning, Australian mm-hmm. time, this could be, besides from the Bangladesh series, if you recall a couple of years ago, wasn't even on TV. Uh, this could be very closely followed as the uh, least watched Australian series in a long time. <laughs> Testing the patience and the patriotism, I think, especially after the, the come down mm. of uh, the other night's adventures as well. Just a quick one on, on rugby league, mate. Um, probably more so on what's been happening in rugby union. So we had salary cap exemptions exemptions as all the talk, which was rugby league to a T. Just, you know, jump on board and let's talk about this issue. And meanwhile... Rugby Australia, which is undergoing its own dramas, has said, "No, nah, no, nah, we, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not buying any more players. We don't have the money, and we've got to get ourselves sorted first. Does this mean the NRL backs off, or was it all just hot air in the first place? <laughs> uh, do you think Peter Valenti's backs off for anything? No, it won't mean the NRL backs off. <laughs> they will. They, they, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Rugby Australia engaged in a fight." Uh, Nine or so months ago when they paid massive overs to, for Joseph Tuoli'i, or maybe not massive overs, but big money for Joseph Tuoli'i, and Rugby League is and will respond. Look, it's interesting to see how the NRL you know, plays this because it looks to me as if it will be a case of um, sort of similar to uh, long-term players at clubs or developed players at clubs where you get a little bit of salary cap dispensation, so um, up to, I think it's 300,000, I think I've got the figures in front of me, but it's, you know, essentially you can get a certain percentage of their, of their salary um, above your cap. And I think the NRL will introduce a similar rule uh, for that for players who have come from other codes. There's a commission meeting next month where this will be discussed. It's, I don't know if it will be, be implemented straight away, but they'll certainly come up with a plan. And yeah, Matty, I think the NRL is never one to back away from the fight. I don't see them backing away from this one. So rugby might have backed out of this, but I don't think we'll see a ceasefire from the NRL. Yep, yep. Very good call on PVL. Mate, uh, I know that this is the last time that we'll chat on this show this year because you're going to head off to a break and I'm going at the end of next week. So I just wanted to say, just uh, personally, but also on behalf of our listeners, thanks so much for everything that you do for our little show, mate. Your knowledge, your input, your availability. You've been everywhere this year and you always take the time to have a chat to us. So we really appreciate it. Have a great break. Have an awesome Christmas and hopefully we can chat again next year. Pleasure, Maddie. Enjoy your summer. Enjoy some time at Manly Beach. And I'll, um, yeah, I'll chat to you in the new year. Thank you, mate. Good man. Thank you. Scott Bailey there. We really do appreciate it um, across absolutely everything. And good to get those insights too on the WBBL crowds as well. And, yeah, a shorter schedule next year might make those those games that just pop out of nowhere 
and are on a Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock, for instance, at a venue that doesn't have the lights, that has the capacity for broadcast, maybe that's the best way to go. And also some insights into the T20 and how long does Steve Smith stay around for this five-game series against India? Thank you, Scotty. We d- really do appreciate it, mate. 0457 736 736 is our text line. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. 1170 on the open line. Pick up and give me your call today on any sporting issue or any issue outside of sport. Can we break the sporting lull? What have you got for me? Hit me up on the phone line. Welcome back. It is uh, approaching 11 minutes to 10 o'clock this morning. We'll be speaking with Phil Murphy from ESPN this morning. Of course, the big one over there in NFL. It's the rematch of Super Bowl 57. So Kansas City Chiefs against the Philadelphia Eagles at 12.15 is that start. And tomorrow morning, Socceroos v. Palestine in Kuwait City as well, which is one that we'll have a chat with Simon Hill about. Uh, And, of course, the National Second Division Uh, and the teams that were announced there in terms of football Australia. So a lot to cover coming up. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number on my list of things to uh, break the sporting lull to talk about. The V8 supercars in Adelaide, our coverage all weekend right here on SEN. And I've also done some more digging. Remember yesterday we were talking about the Las Vegas Formula One weekend. Now, from a viewer's spectacle, it was pretty amazing. From from your lounge room, I thought it was pretty cool. In, fa- in terms of a street race, the racing was, was awesome. I wanted to hold my judgment on what it was like for there or to be there until I started to get the experience of those who were there. I mean, obviously, we weren't there. I've done plenty of Formula One races in my life, so I know what the ins and outs are, but I don't know what the difference was in and around Vegas. Um. So Joe Pompliano is a business sports writer who covers the sports world in detail. I follow him on Twitter, um, and he does some really good breakdowns of a whole stack of things, and he's broken down his experience in Vegas. He says Vegas was packed all weekend. He stayed at the Wynn Casino. He said it was super busy, but it felt like the major disconnect between what he was seeing online versus the reality of the ground on the ground was that F1 is a super expensive sport, and the top restaurants and hotels in Vegas benefited much more than normal spots. So the big end of town came to this one, and for good reason, because a further point that he uh, makes is the cost of it actually actually pushed away all the locals. The average three-day ticket price for Las Vegas, American bucks, was $1,667. Now, the average three-day price here in Australia, still in US, is 276 so $300-odd. So Hungary, Canada, Austria, Spain, Japan, all hovering around the 300 except for Hungary, which was about 200 Miami, over $1,000. Vegas, over $1,500. The locals, of course, there had to deal with almost 12 months of road closures and traffic, and they couldn't attend the race because it was too expensive. And it attracted more of a corporate crowd to the race and fans crowd. So that's a point of difference there. So there's that weird sort of pricing thing that they've got to get right. He did say that the pit building was absolutely incredible, and it's a permanent pit building as well. Formula One purchased an empty parking lot near the Las Vegas Strip last year. They went and bought it. They spent more than $240 million buying it, and then they spent even more 
building a permanent four-story pit building. Black carpet for celebrities, food, world-class, all that kind of stuff. So the, the permanent paddock has left a pretty big imprint. And then overriding most of it, for those that know the history of what's been going on in Formula One with Liberty Media owning Formula One now, is the difference between what he saw about how the fans say Liberty Media have been acting and the teams say how Liberty Media has essentially saved them. The director of Aston Martin's Formula One team, Jefferson Slack, he said he thinks Liberty Media saved the sport. Before they took over, they were losing viewers. The teams were going bankrupt. Then they introduced a cost cap. They partnered with Netflix. They brought in new fans. They've been called the best operator in sports. So the bottom line, again, from Joe is, yes, some of the stuff at the Las Vegas Grand Prix was over the top and cringy. But Liberty Media continues to innovate. No other promoter on the planet would have invested $500 million in this race. And if you never cross the line to figure out what's acceptable, you never know where the line really is. So he says, let's give Liberty Media the benefit of the doubt. Western Sydney Eagle says, one, wow, $1,600 US. No wonder some of those fans are taking class action. Yeah, some of those fans that saw nine minutes, mate, eight or nine minutes of Formula One. You'd be ropeable too, and especially in the backyard there of uh, Litigation City, which is, well, Vegas first and US second, I guess, overall. So that's the take on Formula One. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is my open line number. It's six and a half minutes to ten. Back after this. We are busting out of our sporting lull this morning. We're coming out firing like a cannon uh, at the sporting world this morning. And what we're going to do after the news is something that we did last week. So it's now going to become a bit of a regular on a Tuesday morning is the curveballs. I want you to throw some curveballs at me. So I'm at the plate and I'm going to start swinging. Have you got curveballs in the world of sport that you want to throw at me? You can phone through one three hundred oh one eleven seventy or text them in oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Got a Signet Boost power bank to give away this morning to the best curveball that gets me swinging. Uh, let's see how I go. I reckon I was what was a maestro about one from three, I think attempts. Last week at some of the really curly curveballs that were coming at me. So all sports, Formula One, supercars, cricket, the T20s, WBBL, any issue in rugby league that you want to throw at me, let's load up, have a little bit of thinking time while you're listening to the news and come at me. Simon Hill's also going to join me. We'll talk football. So let's get those curveballs. Let's get swinging after the news. Stick around, folks. Simon Hill joining me very, very soon. So the Socceroos to play Palestine will be an early start tomorrow morning. And Simon will be calling that one a 1 a.m. start, Eastern Daylight Saving Time uh, in Kuwait City. I'll get to our curveballs in just a sec, but give me a shout if you've got something that you can try and take me down. Just imagine me at the plate. Here I am about to swing at something you're going to throw at me. And you got to see if I'm going to swing and miss. I'll, I'll try and hit him. We don't have all the answers here, but we came up with some very good talking points when we did this last week. So our regular Tuesday session now for the back end of the year will be curveballs coming at you. Uh, Hamish McLennan, as I mentioned earlier this morning, spoke last night on Nine News. He was doing a bit of media yesterday, and he did say that there was a coordinated campaign against him. It's resulted in... Dan Herbert, of course, now being the chairman of Rugby Australia and Hamish McLennan resigning from the board altogether. So here's what the ex-chairman had to say. 
So it was part of a coordinated campaign. Was it personal? Was it personal against you, do you think? Oh, of course, if you read the press, I think it was. Why? But, uh, well, I think they wanted to take me out. But, but also... Because of your personality, because you're gung-ho, because you're a... I think, I think all of that. Self-interest, money and control. It's pretty straightforward. How do you beat that? Like, as a chairman, you can't... Well, it's pretty difficult, and you've just seen that. Just look at the NRL and the AFL. They're prospering. And I think we've had not the right strategy for more than 20 years. So, self-interest, money and control um, is a very, very good summary, you think, of the problems in there that hopefully that they can get on top of and try and sort out. Interesting, too, about what he would do again if he had his time again in taking a look at Eddie Jones as Wallaby's coach. Here's the answer to that. Eddie, a mistake? No, I don't think so. Like... I don't think we live in a world where, we shouldn't live in a world, I should say, where if something goes uh, bad, everyone gets shot for it. I know the second part of that question is always what happens if he was talking to Japan. I think that's a really bad look if he was. Well, it appears as though he was. Um, and I think that we've been over this plenty, plenty of times. In fact... We had Tom Deason on the program yesterday. He's been absolutely adamant that Eddie was talking to Japan. And I think the way that Eddie deflected that, we can safely say that that's the way that it's going to pan out. And of course it was a bad look. What to do? What did Rugby Australia need to do at that time? Well, they avoided it. They didn't ring Japan and say, you hassling our coach. They said, we'll take Eddie on his word. And they avoided it. So if it was a bad look in their mind then, they should have said so then. I think Phil Water said it would be very, very disappointing. But that's all water under the bridge. Now, Nick Kyrgios has had a bit to say. He's been on the Tennis Channel. So speaking with Jim Courier, this is Nick Kyrgios on his chances of returning to the court this summer. Yeah, I mean, after last year, I had such a great year. And I'm so hungry to get back out there and had a couple issues with my knee and now had a bit of a wrist issue as well so you know I'm doing everything I can to get back out there obviously you know how injuries are every day just doing the rehab doing the gym work. Zverev in the way that he's been able to come back from that horrific injury that he sustained last year at Roland Garros is that something that maybe inspires you as you look forward to 2024 and say that's something maybe I can I can get back and, and bring my best stuff as well. I mean I hope so um, you know the stars have to align a little bit and with Zverev you know he's an incredibly hard worker he's, that's his reputation he, do, he ticks all the boxes and if someone like that can come back from injury like that I think that's that's what I have to draw inspiration from for sure there you go Nick Kyrgios needs to work harder um, by his own admission there and wants to work harder it'd be it's going to be a quiet summer if he's not around so let's hope that he does get back you can take him or leave him but he adds a bit of a bit of uh, vim and vigor I reckon to the summer of tennis if he comes on back righto curveballs folks we've got some coming through 0457 736 736. We actually had a, a little bit of an intro, Brenton. We, we had this one. We did this last week with a bit of batter, batter, swing batter. We found that. We love a good intro here, as you know. So let's, let's hit it and see if we can set the scene. Oh, dear, yes. That sets us in the mood. Righto, here's a couple. Uh, John from Gosford says, bugger the F1 in Vegas. 
put the MotoGP there instead. Sharper, shorter races, more overtakes, fits the bill of the city better. Don't need to watch Max be grumpy all weekend again. So that's a curveball. Let's take Formula One out of Vegas and let's put MotoGP in there. I'm going to have a swing and a miss at that one. Let's keep MotoGP on fast-flowing circuits um, that are more European-style, essentially. Uh, There's nothing wrong with Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. I don't want to see MotoGP in in Vegas. Let's leave Vegas for Formula One, John. Thank you for that. Keep them coming. 0457 736 736. That's the first of our uh, curveballs this morning. Simon Hill will be, uh, of course, in full voice tonight, overnight. Channel 10's coverage of Socceroos v Palestine. It's an interesting one and the global game tonight from 8 o'clock as well. Morning to you, mate. I'm really interested in this because it's... It's a backdrop unlike any other. They're in Kuwait. They're in a neutral venue. um, And everyone's aware of what's going on. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how this plays out. It's much more than a game of football. Yeah, it's... uh, Morning to you, Matthew, by the way. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating concept ahead. um, And arguably a bit more tricky for Australia than the, the game they had against Bangladesh, which, of course, was at home and they won quite comfortably. Um, yeah, the one thing that you can be sure of is that uh, the Palestinians will be highly motivated, even though they're not playing uh, on their own turf, which they haven't done, incidentally, since 2019. And this game was actually scheduled to be in Ramallah uh, before all the trouble broke out uh, in that part of the world. And obviously, they had to move it. So uh, it's an interesting contest. I, I still think Australia, you know, man for man, will be too good for, for Palestine. And in many ways, they'll be, they'll be helped by playing in Kuwait. Uh, it's a stadium they've played at before. Um, apparently, it's a good surface. Uh, the temperatures are, are reasonable because it's the, the winter time in, in the Gulf. Uh, so, yeah, they should be okay. But um, again, you know, the, the only enemy really, I guess, is, is complacency tonight. And uh, if they play to their capabilities, they should win. Mm. It'd be good to see Martin Boyle there, wouldn't it? Well, he is there. Um, I know that for a fact. Uh, obviously, he missed out against Bangladesh. Uh, they just wanted to nurse uh, the injury that he picked up playing for Hibernian in the Scottish Premier League. And, uh, you know, obviously, the long journey to, uh, to Australia is, is something that doesn't help injuries. Um, so they kept him in Scotland, but he is now in Kuwait. And, uh, yeah, I expect him to play a part tonight. All right, let's see how that one plays out uh, overnight, of course. So, Socceroos v Palestine. You were at the launch yesterday of the National Second Division um, announcement. Yep. So, kicking off in early 2025, we've been discussing this at length. Eight foundation clubs with more to come. Were there any surprises in there, uh, the way that it panned out for you? Well, I guess uh, the, the surprise really was is that it was completely limited to New South Wales and Victoria. Now, that's maybe not the way it's going to end up um, because they are looking to add between two and four new clubs over the next uh, 12 months. Uh, but at the moment, it's exclusively limited to, to New South Wales and Victoria, which obviously has led to a fair bit of negative commentary from the rest of the country, which is completely understandable. Uh, but I don't think that's uh, how it will look when it kicks off in 2025. Um, you know, clearly they, they've looked at the clubs that have the financial capability as well as the football smarts uh, to be able to set this thing up. And, uh, you know, they've, they've identified eight for the moment. Um, so, I, I, look, I think it's, it's a good start. Uh, if you remember, the A-League started with only eight clubs back in 2005. So, 
you know, it's it's probably better to err on the side of caution when you're setting up something completely new. Uh, but it's exciting, and um, you know, longer term, obviously, we hope as football fans, this leads to a, a fully interconnected pyramid with promotion and relegation between all the tiers. Now, that's not necessarily easy to achieve in a country the size of Australia, but I think it has to be our aim long term, um, and it will be so good for our sport here. Uh, you know, it'll be something well, unique in, in terms of the, the football codes anyway. So uh, I, I think it will be fantastic. But uh, first things first, let's get this thing up and running and, and make it work. Yeah, well, that's it. And so we've got a year and a bit until this is up and running. But I, And I was going to ask you about promotion and relegation. I, I guess you can't really put a time frame around it, mate, because if you say one thing, it's going to be there forevermore and you'll be held to account of it. But they want to make sure that this national second division is running properly, strong enough, and is good enough to to then afford to take that next step? Is it a, in your opinion, is it a five-year sort of deal? Is it a 10-year approach? Am I too long, too short? Well, to be honest, I, I, as you rightly said at the top, I, I think it will sort itself out naturally. You know, if it works, mm. if, it's, if it's going well, after two or three years, I think the calls will start, you know, almost immediately. But... Uh, if it struggles, if we have clubs, you know, dropping out for financial reasons, um, if there are other issues, which I can't necessarily foresee at the moment, but, uh, you know, you just never know with something brand new. So, uh, you know, the, the answer is when it's ready. Um, and But it has to be the aim. You know, we we need to have an interconnected system here in Australia because, uh, that's how football works all over the world. And I think it would be really good for our game as well. Uh, that tension at the bottom of the league, as well as at the top, uh, will be good for the development of our footballers and get them ready uh, for playing those high-pressure games, both at club and international level. So, you know, we're a way off as it stands at the moment. But, uh, you know, the, the quicker this league gets up and running and is successful, then uh, the closer that dream will become because... You know, at the end of the day, if you're going to relegate teams, you've got to have somewhere stable to relegate them to. Um, mm. So that's that's the challenge for for the second division, and uh, you know, with that, of course, comes the carrot of promotion as well. So, yeah, it's as I say, it's it's a small start, but it's a good start, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Good on you, mate. Global game tonight from eight o'clock, of course, and then you'll be calling Socceroos v Palestine. So nice and busy. Uh, thanks for your time. <laughs> Yeah, it's a busy old day. Cheers, <laughs> Good on you. So, yeah, Simon Hill there. Um, some interesting points around that. What did you make of the National Second Division announcements yesterday? We, we we knew what was coming. The eight foundation clubs, I wholeheartedly agree with everything that Simon just said. We've just got to make sure that this gets up and running. And the end game of all of this, or part of the end game of all of this, the promotion and relegation part, and when you think about it in that pyramid, makes perfect sense and that has to be the outcome that everybody will be looking for. On the other side of the world, I was blown away when I read about the 10-point deduction given to Everton um, by the Premier League. And this is the kind of thing that starts to get me really fascinated in the whys and wherefores. So I started to dig around and um, the financial system the way that it's all played out in there. I mean, the, the bottom line is that the biggest question is who's next and what next? Because 
Correct me if I'm wrong here, Maestro. Everton essentially were facing one charge. Clubs like Manchester City at the moment are under investigation for 195 or something or other, 150. And you've got Everton being docked 10 points for not spending enough money. Um, th- this is really interesting. It's very complex, obviously. But what happens next? And if that's the kind of penalty that they're going to give out, then what happens the next time that somebody is found to have done this and more? 10 points straight down the bottom. This is interesting because it's now been taken to Parliament. A Liverpool MP has called the punishment grossly unfair. He's tabled an early day motion in the House of Commons, which will be laid out for other MPs to consider. They would breach the financial rules and they also are calling for an immediate establishment of an independent regular, uh, regulator. So it's it's really, really interesting the way that this has gone on. It's the biggest sporting sanction in the competition's history. It pushed Everton down to 19th on the table, two points adrift of safety, and it goes to interest payments on the club's new stadium, which they believe were addbacks for profit of sustainability cal- calculation. So off and off you go over the amount of money that they've, they can afford to lose. So the English top flight clubs are permitted to lose over three years, £105 million. An independent commission found that Everton, their losses between 21 and 22 amounted to $124.5 million. So they lost too much money. And there's a lot of stuff behind all that. What happens next is going to be the the biggest watch this space, I reckon, because either way, if another club transgresses and doesn't get what they got, then all hell will break loose. Or if another club is found to have done more than just the one offence, then all hell will rain down on them if you go with the form line of what's been happening. Really interesting situation over there in the English Premier League. Back to the curveballs we go. So we had the uh, call for a MotoGP at Vegas instead of Formula One. I'm sticking with Formula One. No problems about that. Uh, Jake from the Lake says, Jerome Luai goes to the Tigers, which I'm expecting him to. The Panthers drag Matt Burton back to play uh, 5-8 at, at, at the club. Well, stranger things have happened, Jake from the Lake. I'm prepared to let that one go through. <laughs> I'm going to let that go straight through. I don't know about that one. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Because, and I'll tell you why I don't know about that one. Because this is rugby league you're talking about. Jerome Luai could go to the Tigers. And the Panthers could be taking a look at Matt Burton. Good luck trying to get him out of where he's at at the moment. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy Curveball Tuesday. This is a lot of fun. Does it, do I hit? Do I miss? Does, I, does it go straight through to the catch of the bag? Listening to us off the coast of WA this morning. Uh, good morning to your bag. Thanks for calling in. So you're listening via the SEN app. Where do we find you this morning? Oh, I'm 43 kilometres off the coast of Exmouth on an oil rig at the moment, uh, Maddie. But uh, probably nice. good to have a nickname on the subject I want to talk about because, uh, yes. mate, this Nikita Zoo and who walks out first or second in the bigs fight tomorrow night, they do a good job, the promoters. But 
like the sport is, is that the champion walks out second. It's as simple as that. It might be part of the marketing, and, and just mm. while I'm having a crack, that Nikita Zoo's got the personality of a house brick for mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, here's, here's what I reckon, Bag. As soon as I, I heard that last night, it was on the news, right? I, I had the news going, and I heard that last night. Um, I was travelling yesterday, so when I heard it, I instantly switched off. It took me about 0.2 of a second to switch off. I went, what a load of absolute crap. If that's what you need to sell tickets to the, to the fight, then seriously, how dumb are we? So, I, mate, I just went, I don't care who works, walks out first and I don't care who walks out second, but I, you, you, you're bang on. This is a marketing ploy, but I just went, really? That's the stage we're at? I mean, what was the last one? There was one about... Um, which colour boxing shorts you were going to wear? I mean, they're you know they're running out of options, aren't they? Well, if he wins a title, he can walk out second next time around. Like give respect to the champion. So you know, that, like that's the way it works, isn't it? That's sport. That's tradition. Let's stick to it. Yeah, stick to it. You know what? It's got us talking. It's got us talking. So you're working on the oil rig out there. So are you are you working at the moment, mate? Have you just got your headphones in or have you got a bit of downtime? Well, just quietly, I'm supposed to be working at the moment, so I'm ducking out <laughs> on the deck now, so it's good to listen to you. <laughs> Hence the nickname. Good on you, mate. Hence the nickname, yeah. brother. The bag. Good on you. Thank you, mate. I appreciate it. And thanks for calling in um, from a wonderful part of the world out there off the coast of Exmouth in WA. Yeah, look, as soon as I saw that and I heard that, I went, really? Are we going to fall for this one? Guess what? We just have. Whoops. Uh, Curveball Tuesday, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Welcome back. Don't forget Flight Centre's Big Red Sale is on with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays, tours. You can book now to save big. That is Flight Centre's Big Red Sale. And our thanks for their support of this program. Shane from Marrickville's on the line to talk uh, some more football off the National Second Division squads or sides being announced. Good morning, Shane. Good to hear from you, mate. Yeah, Matty, look, just a couple of things on the Second Division. Um I agree with Alfie Leichhardt and McCartney Fairfield. They've got to come in. I mean, they've produced over 100 socceroos between them. Uh, my problem is with Sydney United 58 now. This club is renowned for violence. Um, they booed during Welcome to Country. The supporter base has done the Nazi salute in the past. Why wouldn't they go with Blacktown City, a booming area, even the new side, the Peninsula Tower, over your way? I mean... What's happened is, is they're going to have Sydney 58 and Marconi Stallions virtually getting each other's backyards. They're going to be cannibalising each other's um, juniors. But the biggest problem is, is this club. I mean, if they do get promotion in the first division, can you imagine when they go and play the Wanderers, the Croatian team against the Wanderers, who have a massive Muslim base? Yeah, well, look, I know it's look legitimate questions all around there. I know that they've they've copped some heavy sanctions from both Football New South Wales and Football Australia. I'm not I'm not in the minutia of it all, obviously, but I would suggest, and you know much more about it than I do, that they'd be well and truly on notice, would they not? In between now and mm. and all clubs would be in between now and the kickoff of the national second division, and then when you're in it, in particular. So you've got some pretty big concerns yeah. though. 
Well, I mean, you, you look at the other clubs in it, Wollongong Wolves and, and Avondale in Victoria. They're, they're all found. They're all great clubs. But as soon as I saw this, I thought, how the hell are they going to let them in there? I mean, they're going to have to be on notice from day one. But, I mean, the bigger point is how they can neglect Blacktown, which is a famous old club, financially strong, thousands of juniors, and they're not even getting a look in the door. Mm. Yeah, well... Maybe maybe they've got to look in second time around because as Simon was just saying there, what if we start with eight foundation clubs and more than likely at least another two and perhaps another four, but the fact that we've only got clubs from New South Wales and Victoria at this stage would maybe suggest that if there are two or four more, they'd come from outside, which would leave, again, your shout there um, left out in the cold. Good on you, Shane. Thank you. You always deliver some food for thought, some very legitimate questions around all of that. If you've got your opinions on that, let me know. 0457 736 736. More curveballs coming up after the news. Thank you, Vanessa. Okay, let's get back to some curveballs and I'll also explain the situation with supercars. Later on in the week, we'll have a chat with Aaron Noonan, see what Noons has got for us uh, ahead of the final event of the season at the uh, Velo Adelaide 500. So the Adelaide Street Circuit to finish off 2023. Matty Kerbal, Luai, leaves Nathan's younger brother, Jet, to join him in the halves. That one from the Wild Panther. Is that as curvy as you think? Maybe so. Two curveballs for you from ML at uh, Nunda in Brisbane. Two curveballs. NRL season 2024. Neither Penrith or Brisbane play in the grand final. Whoa, hang on a sec. Hang on now. <laughs> Easy. I've just had a massive... I think I've just popped a vertebrae swinging that hard at that one. One of them's got to be there, don't they? If not both. Um, I don't even know what what to think about that one. So you're counting Penrith out and Brisbane out. Who else are we... If you're going to count both of them out, you've got to put two in. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd half go be willing to say maybe one of them misses out just because of the weird nature of the beast. The interesting part for me about that is obviously around Penrith. How long can they stay up at that level? How long can they keep doing that? Because that's just <laughs> near impossible, but they continue to do the impossible. Brisbane on the charge. South Sydney, folks. South Sydney... Jack's in town, Whiten's in town, so we okay. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, say strike on that one. And if Dutton becomes prime minister in 2025, it's goodbye PNG to enter the NRL as an 18th team. Now that one is that could happen, couldn't it? And a lot of a lot of my listeners have said exactly the same thing here. The 18th team push to get. Um, Papua New Guinea in, which is government, government, government based on both sides, their side and this side. What happens if the government here or there changes? What happens next? So you might be right on that one. Here's one from Finn. Good morning, Matty. My curveball is a game of rugby. Rugby. <laughs> Work with us here, folks. All Blacks v Kangaroos. Four 20-minute quarters. The first quarter's rugby. The second quarter's league. Third quarter's rugby. Fourth quarter's league. How good would that be? Love your work, says Finn. We've had the hybrid game. It's been it's been there and thereabouts. It's been floating around. My old school 
was one of the first that, that played a, a recognised game. Um, so the game of rugby, <laughs> I like the name, but nah, that's a swing and a miss, that one. Batter up. Is Lionel Messi's jersey auction simply a money grab by a player who shouldn't need the money? Says crime scene. I, I need to do some more research on that one. All I saw was Messi and jumpers and lots of money. Um, I don't know why he's doing it. Does he need the money? Negative. Thank you, crime scene. If the Perth Scorchers win their sixth title of BBL this season, should they change their name of the tournament to the Perth Cup? <laughs> I'm hoping my Sydney Sixers get their fourth title in 23-24. That one from Simon from Balgowny. We're just showing your hand there. I mean, should we change the name of the World Cup now to the Australia Cup? We've won it six times. Nobody's come close to that. West Indies and India next best with two. Thank you for that one. Um, should Matty Moylan have tried to play the eight or so matches in 2024 to reach the 200 game mark before going to Super League? <laughs> I know. I saw that this morning too when I was pulling up the stats and facts around Matt Moylan who's heading off to the Lee Leopards. And he's on 191 NRL games. So 102 for the Cronulla Sharks and before that, 89 games for the Penrith Panthers. Season's uh, career in the NRL started back in 2013 and has gone all the way through until now. So, yeah, eight, nine more games and he would have got to that magical 200 mark. So not so much as as a curveball, but the statistics at the very end will, um, yeah, will leave him stranded on 191 unless, of course, he can come back at the end of it. Plenty of players have done that. And come back and play again. Jackson Hastings was on Brecky this morning with another good chat with the boys. He's been over and come back as well. Matty, okay. Is Van Gisbergen still a chance of winning the Drivers' Championship in uh, South Australia this weekend? And if so, how far would he have to finish in front of Kostecki in both races to achieve that? Thanks, mate. Have a great day. I'm glad you asked, Simon. So Brody Kostecki leads the championship by 131 points. He leads Shane Van Gisbergen by 131 points. Two races across the weekend. If he outscores SBG by 20 points on day one, he'll be the champion. So then you start to go, well, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. If Shane Van Gisbergen wins both races on the weekend in Adelaide, Brody Kostecki will still be champion if he finishes in the top eight in those two. That's the bottom line there. So you've got to go when you're working these out. Believe me, folks, when you're in commentary and you get to the championship Sunday and you've got the spreadsheet there and it's all going on in front of you and you try, okay, well, ah, and he's he's about to finish first. Hang on a second. He's just had to pit because he got a flat tire or something weird. Jumped, his kangaroo jumped on his sunroof. You never know what the hell's going to happen. And you're looking down, you're going, well, if he goes there and he goes there, then what the hell happens here? They'll be going, what's the best case scenario for us? We stay in front of Van Gisbergen. What's the worst case scenario for us? We get two DNFs. We finish down the back. Okay, if we get two DNFs, what has he got to do? And then you start to play that really tricky game. I reckon that's part of the reason we saw it in the Speed Series last weekend up at Bathurst, the championships in TCR Australia, went down to the final race. Bailey Sweeney had it all there, and it ended up in the hands of Josh Buchan. In the Trans Am 
race. James Moffat had it all there, and it's it ended up in his hands, but not without some drama along the way. All sorts of weirdness goes on when you get to that championship weekend. But that's the bottom line there. 11 rounds, 26 races. It'll come down to this one, and 131 points is the difference. If you go back to a countback, however, this is the interesting part because Brody Kostecki's won more races. So the number of victories scored by each driver, Brody's won six, Shane Van Gisbergen's won five at the moment. So if Kostecki wins on Saturday, but then they end up in a tie for the points on Sunday, Kostecki wins on countback. If Van Gisbergen wins on Saturday and they end up on equal points with six uh, wins each, Kostecki would still be champion because of the amount of second-place finishes that he would get. Are we all right now? Does everyone just need a good lie down after that one? Bottom line, stay in front of Shane Van Gisbergen. You'll win the championship. There you go. 0457 736 736. I've got some good curveballs coming in. We'll continue that conversation for you as we move through this Tuesday morning right here on SEN. On the text line, Matt says, Matty, name me a team with a weak halfback who's won the comp in the past 30 years. Souths don't have a premiership half, so they can't win it. Well, uh, one of our other texters in the curveball reckons that Brisbane and Penrith won't be there in 2024. On the hybrid match, the game of rugby, Aussie says we can't even beat the Kiwis in rugby league, let alone <laughs> rugby league, let alone the All Blacks in a hybrid match. <laughs> fair point. Very fair point. Um, Brenton in the studio. Now, have you have you got a curveball for me? You've been in charge of all things technically related. You've been running the show out of our uh, Gold Coast studios up there. So what's your curveball this morning, mate? Well, as a Queenslander, Origin's a big thing for me. Um, it's been great the past few years. But um, I've always thought that um, State of Origin should be on a Friday night because when Queensland wins, we want to go to the Caxton and have a good time, and we can't do that on a Wednesday night. So what about moving that to Friday night? Hang on. Hang on. Why can't you? What is the Caxton close on a Wednesday night? Oh, uh, you know, just got to be responsible. <laughs> got to get up. Yeah, you got to get up. And, you know, sometimes when you win Origin so many times, you just um, forget, oh. you forget work. Oh, I wish I didn't ask. Um, however, let's peel that back. Let's let's. You reckon Friday night? Yeah. But your reasons are so that so you can go out and get on the sauce and celebrate properly. Not not for anything to do with the promotion of the game or anything like that. Oh, I think more people would watch. It's Friday Arvo, like you Friday. Mm. Uh, Friday night, like, I just feel like more people wouldn't be worried about work or the next day. Like, it's the weekend. Surely uh, surely there's uh, more money to be made there. Do you know when New South Wales win on a Friday night, then that makes your weekend even longer? Yeah, but uh, you you get to um, kind of, the once every 10 years that it happens, you get to to kind of rest up and just um, regenerate. Oh, you come out firing with that one. Swing and a miss on your side on there um, <laughs> for all of the obvious reasons. It's an interesting one, of, of, of though, in, in all seriousness, where the state of origin lands. I mean, Wednesday nights, it's, it's home. It's free space there in terms of other um, big events that are on during the week. You're not competing against any other form of football code or yourself, for that matter. Um 
and you've got that space on a Wednesday night. It makes no sense, really, when you think about it. You know, you go, well, why do we play on a Wednesday night? And then it does make sense for all of those reasons. You're not competing. You've still got big eyeballs. It's the middle of the week. Everyone's sitting at home, ready to go. Nobody's out on a Friday night doing all that kind of stuff. So between a Wednesday and a Sunday, I think, is the place to go. And why? Because Wednesday already works. We know that. Would they get the same amount if you've got other things to look at on a Thursday or Friday night? Possibly, possibly not. Good curveball, though. Uh, I like the way you've come at it with the just, you know, pure self-assessment of <laughs> if you could change something, you would because it would give you more opportunity to go out and party. And then you've decided on the little jab, a little old jab. Uh, Chiefs v Philadelphia Eagles starts at quarter past 12. So we'll keep you updated on that throughout the course of the afternoon is a, re- a rematch, of course, of Super Bowl 57, where the Chiefs ended up winning that. Um, and a lot of the focus, obviously, on the whole Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey thing. And then by virtue of that, Taylor Swift, she won't be there. We know all that. Um, but a huge game, a massive game coming up a little bit later on. One of the Chiefs, I think, is 7-2 and two, and the Eagles 8-1 and one going into this one. Last time they met, this happened in Super Bowl 57. Butker up, got it! Here we go. Hurts has all day. Now some rushers come. Going to throw it as far as his arm can take it, which is well short. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57. 38 points to 35. I'll be chatting with ESPN's Phil Murphy on the Blockbuster Monday night footy match. Um, the numbers that they will get for that will be astronomical. The in-season tournament's been a big part of the early season in the NBA, and LeBron James continues to perform 37 points. Incredible um, for LeBron at the age of 38. He just keeps on going. So we'll touch on all the American sport with Phil Murphy in our next hour of the program. Paramat's not a fan, Brenton. Not a fan. He says it's time for a proper professional panel puncher. <laughs> Wears his heart in his sleeve, though. I, I don't mind that. Comes out and, you know, just backs himself. Um, that's enough Queensland talk. No more airtime for you. It's, it's not Ben, folks. It's Brenton. With a T, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Kerbal. With most NRL clubs who've struggled in recent times having a new or relatively new coaches, could we see the coaches of Parramatta or Canberra feeling the pressure in 2024? If my prediction is correct, they both missed the finals. Um, yeah. I, you know what? I, I don't like... I mean, obviously, all coaches are going to be under pressure. There's no doubt about that. And all coaches feel the pressure, and some more than others. And some have a ticking time bomb going on them. Anthony Griffin was a great case in point on that earlier this year. I mean, he just had the the clock ticking straight away before they even started. It was, what, if we don't have it in six weeks, then see you later. So that's really, really, you know, interesting the way that that's going to pan out and who will have that ticking time bomb. What I find about that whole coach watch thing is who's the who's going to be the first to go is a really hard thing to sort of justify. It's going to happen. It will more than likely happen in 2024. And we'll be talking about it right here and dissecting it and saying, okay, well, it's time to move on and da-da-da-da-da. 
but it's a huge thing. It's the game that they play and it's the occupation that they have, but it's one of those occupations that is under scrutiny like never before. Listening in via the SEN app from New Zealand, a lot of the things you guys are talking about, we have the same issues here. Um, seems like the Australian boys just don't really have a desire to play for the Wallabies. So this one on Rugby Union, if they're willing to play NRL for pure money, are they worth having in your system? Um, Rugby Union's got some huge issues ahead of it. And now they've got Dan Herbert in charge as chairman. They've got Phil War there as CEO. They're going to have a high-performance director overseeing the Wallabies coach, and that'll all come into play. Can they get the pieces right in time? That's going to be the biggest job, facing those at Rugby Australia headquarters. Welcome back. Crime Scene says, I agree, Matty, we shouldn't be death-riding coaches. Yeah, look, it's, it's, they get it. They understand it. Um, it's part of, of what happens in that business, but it's a, you know, when you sort of step back when it's all happening, it's, it's a pretty terrible thing that they've got to go through. And, um, once it all falls apart, it's even worse. So publicly as well, but, uh, let's deal with that when it gets in front of us next year. SEN has quite a few Shanes who participate. I love how antagonistic and curmudgeonly they all are. And yes, my Christian name is Shane (laughs) from our texter. Famous Shanes, I know which one comes straight up, right? I know which one hits you first up. SK Warren. Do we want to do some famous Shanes this morning? We've got Shane Van Gisbergen, Shane Warren. We've got, we've got plenty of Shanes. There's more than you think. More than you think. And there's more curveballs than you think too for us to get through. Phil Murphy to talk football. The final hour of the show coming up. Stay with us. John on the text line was first in with the uh, other Shane that I was thinking about. So Shane Warne, of course, and then you've gone straight for Shane Gould. Yes, there are plenty more if you want to keep firing them at me. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number, or 0457736736 is the text line number. Here's a curveball from Dan. The NFL comes to Australia in September in a cross-promotion with the NRL leading into next year's finals. Well, we're heading there. Are you saying that we need to get them heading here? We'll discuss all things NFL and, of course, the big one, Monday night footy over there, Super Bowl rematch, the Chiefs v. Eagles coming up. The story, of course, in the NBA um, off the court has been focused around LaMelo Ball, the ex-Illawarra Hawk, of course, now um, all-star guard in the NBA. And it's about covering a tattoo. I'm not sure if you've been across this one. He's got a tattoo below his left ear that the league is saying violates the rules against exposing commercial logos on players' bodies. So he's got the initials LF tattooed just under his left ear, which is short for La France, which is his middle name. Lamello La France Ball. And it's also his clothing brand. So the NBA and Ball have been having conversations over the past several weeks. He began to cover it up prior to Tuesday's game against Miami. If he didn't, he was facing fines and then also covered it up for the in-season tournament against Milwaukee. The NBA has said, per the collective bargaining agreement, players are prohibited from displaying commercial logos or corporate insignia on their body or in their hair during games. We try to enforce the rule reasonably in accordance with its purpose and taking into account players' efforts to express themselves in a non-commercial manage- ma- manner. But Lamello Ball's neck tattoo 
is in obvious violation of the rule and accordingly he's required to cover it up. So that's where that one's at. Uh, a simple tattoo underneath his left ear and they've said you've got to cover it up even though it's your middle name or short for your middle name but it's also your clothing brand and therein lies the problem. Quirky quirk quirks. Um, Shane the Hammer Heel. Yes, there's one. Shane uh, left of field. Shane Gould's already in. Shane Die, RS Die, absolutely. Shane Watson, yes. Shane Horan, that's a good one. Spelled a little bit differently. Um, what else have we got here from Matt? Famous Shanes, Gould, McMahon, WWE. Uh, Dorian in surfing. Die, jockey, and Shackleton, NRL. Thank you. That that didn't take long to get through quite a few. Anyone got Shane Webkey yet? I just gave it to you. There you go. What about this for a curveball, says Matt. In disgust at being voted behind Reese Walsh as the most influential figure in the NRL, PVL moves on to run the AFL and Racing Victoria in a $25 million deal. That was an interesting one, wasn't it? I mean, I don't know how they get to all that, and a top 50 is a top 50, but... And I agree that Reese Walsh is the big star of the show at the moment. Most influential in the NRL, I would have thought, hands down, it would be PVL first. And then whoever flows after that. How do you reckon that phone call went? <laughs> would you give them a call? It was in their news limited papers. They spend a truckload of money. PVL spends a truckload of money in both of his roles with that organisation. Not that he, you know wants that out of it, but how do you reckon that call will go? Hey, uh, listen, we've <laughs> just done a bit of a poll here, or a little bit of a influential thing, and you come in second. A couple of comments here from another listener who says, in Rugby Union, I completely disagree that they are the International Football Code of Australia. Rugby has not been relevant since 2003. Football, Socceroos, and more recently Matildas are the code that has active support in the middle of the night during big events, not rugby. And number two, Pat Cummins has certainly proved many wrong, and he is a very good captain and leader, but the last three tests of the Ashes leave a bad taste for most. We should have won them, not retained them. Still has a long way to go to match the others, Taylor War and Ponting. Um, I don't know how much more we want Pat Cummins to do before somebody realises that he's damn good. And I've said this time and time again, there's those that take a look at Pat Cummins and what he stands for and what he looks like and all this kind of stuff and how he addresses... Pat Cummins is a winner. And he's a competitor. Don't be fooled by those blue eyes. They've got the steely look of an absolute competitor whose fire burns within. And that's what I see when I look at Pat Cummins, the sportsman. Of course, he's going to continue to learn as a captain. They all continue to learn. And of course, he's going to make mistakes. They'll all continue to make mistakes. They get better. Times change. Bat, um, playing squads change as well. Everything that's thrown at you. But I think a lot of people have been fairly quick to jump up and down about Pat Cummins from afar. When you narrow it down to Pat Cummins... The competitor, it's pretty hard to find a chink in that armour. 
0457736736. Matty, who's the guy who used to say, shame, shame, shame? That was Darren Hinch. <laughs> uh, this one's from Brett. Yeah, who used to say that? Every time I heard it, it used to sound like Shane, Shane, Shane. Anyway, how about Shane Crawford? Yep, Crawford's a good one. Where was your banana bender? Brenton, this is aimed at you from Paramat again. He's got a bee in his bonnet about you. Fired him up, mate. Paramat listens in via the West. Uh, he's over in WA. I'm assuming you're still there, Paramat, in WA. Had a couple of uh, interactions with the other side of the country this morning, which has been great. The bag called in from off the coast of Exmouth. Where was your banana bender not nominating Shane Webke? Interesting. Threw it straight back at you, mate. You had nothing for us. I gave you the opportunity there and you had nothing for us. Cricketer Shane Lee is another shout-out. That one from Benny from Spears Point. Sugar Shane Mosley. Um, Shane Van Gisbergen. That's from Stu. Another one for S. Lee. Um, And some others there were about movies, which I didn't know about. But thank you for that. 1300 011170 is the open line number, or 0457 736 736. So we've heard from Hamish McLennan this morning. Daniel Herbert had uh, faced the media yesterday. He's addressed, if you've picked up the papers this morning, he's addressed um, a whole range of issues. How do you get the, the game back on track? What's his role going to be in all of this? How did it all play out with Hamish McLennan and the board and the states all getting together? Under, underneath all of that, how do you unite the game? Here's what Dan Herbert had to say on that front. We need someone that can unite the game and felt that with uh, the current leadership that that was going to be very tough. So it's interesting, isn't it? With the current leadership, that was going to be very tough and points towards a divisive scenario that they had um, going on with Hamish McLennan there, who we've heard from. So at the end of the day, the old boardroom coup has has played out, hasn't it? That's what's happened here. And the States made it very clear that they didn't want to move on with it, with Hamish McLennan in that role. And eventually, I think it was Friday, the report started to come out that he was in that role of dead man walking. About Friday, yeah. It didn't take long, did it? That's how things move very quickly. And then some of the other issues that Dan Herbert has addressed, it was put to him about the boys' club. There's him. The president now is Joe Roth. He's been there. Um, Phil War, of course, is the CEO. Chief executive of Rupert, the Players Association, Justin Harrison, all played in the same Wallabies team at the start of the centuries. And he's at the start of the century, and he said. It's hard for me to sit here and say yes or no, but in terms of uniqueness to that group, it's not something considered. A lot of sports where people go on because they've got a passion for it. And then he points out that um, you, you can say boys club. I haven't seen a lot of these guys for a long time before joining this board. Of course, there's camaraderie when you play together, but we've all gone off and done different things. But it's good to have people who want to give back to the game. It's a big job. And... Position number one will be to get a high-performance director in there. That high-performance director's position will therefore determine who will be the coach of the Wallabies, which is where it all starts with Rugby Union. That's where if the Wallabies are, are not going well at all, then the game seems to just trip over itself, especially in the 
in the way that it's been over the last however many years. So it's a long, long way back. Uh, let's go to the open line. Paul in Newcastle uh, is on the line. I hope, you, I hope you're listening here, Brenton. Brenton's in the studio, which means, Paul, that he's got control of the... Uh, He's got control of the dump button, so to speak. So you wanted to have a little shot at Brenton, mate. Good morning. Yeah, I'll say good day to all my family and friends first because I don't think I'm going to get far. But, <laughs> mate, there's freaking on about this bloody origin. It's boring, okay? It's three games. How did you go in every footy code this year where you couldn't win a grand final to save yourself? Please, get over it. Oh. <laughs> right of reply, Brendan, or are you just going to sit there and just, just laugh? He's, oh. he's happy with, yeah. At least we had teams to support on grand final day, so that was fun. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Paul. Good on you, mate. Hey, you survived throughout the call. You made it through there. He's saying just get over it, mate. Just just get over it. Look, you got one maroon eye and the other maroon eye. You got two maroon eyes. Matty... Paddy Cummins has absolutely gone up, in my view, recently. You're right. He's an absolute winner. Don't forget also he lost his mum this year. That's right. The bloke is a champion and so strong. I said it yesterday. The word that that came to me off the back of the Australians' performances, and let's not forget they lost the first two and then were unbeaten all the way through, was professionalism. And that speaks to me to an entire squad and the leadership of that squad. You don't get that kind of professionalism if you don't have the leadership and you don't have the structure in place. It's interesting that we're sitting here talking about rugby union at the moment, perhaps looking over the fence at Australian cricket or Cricket Australia and remember where they were not too many years ago, a brand that you couldn't get close to. So they've managed to turn it around with performances on the field and stuff going on off the field as well and the right leadership and the right structure in place, and they've got it all there. So, yeah, that professionalism has come shining through, and it's delivered in spades this year. I mean, World Test Championship final, done. Retaining the Ashes, would have loved to have won them, but retaining them, done. And now beating India in India, an unbeaten team in the World Cup final, done. No problems. Let's take a break. It's uh, 16 and a half minutes after 11 o'clock. 21 minutes after 11 o'clock. Shane on the text line says, Shane the movie about a cowboy gunfighter, which we were probably all named after. And Gary says on the same vein, Matty, back in my day, the movie Shane with Alan Ladd was a pretty good movie. So that was in the 1950s and Alan Ladd played Shane. I can't remember seeing this one. Gene Arthur was also in it. So too was Jack Palance. Um, I've probably seen it along the way, but 1953, that one came out. So that's taken us off on a different tangent, but a different Shane. And when you look at some other Shane, Shane Crawford from the Hawks was already mentioned, Matt. Rooster Mars says Shane Hayne. Yes, referee Shane Hayne, whose who's first name is Kevin. Now, I mentioned also Shane Dye, R.S. Dye. His first name was Raymond. So maybe we start thinking about those names that we didn't know were the first names. Matty, the football manager slash high-performance manager position at Rugby Australia, it's a high-performance director, screams, says this texter, we are underperforming, but we don't know how to fix it. Um, The Tigers and the Titans have had someone in this position for years, 
and it hasn't changed a thing. The Wallabies, as an organisation, are a sinking ship. Good riddance. Um, and then some other text is is missing there. But the high performance director is something that I would say is why isn't it there? They know they're underperforming. And they know that they've got to fix it, and they think that that's one of the reasons or one of the parts and how to fix it. I actually think that we're starting to hear much more sense coming out of Rugby Australia as the organisation. The Wallabies are under Rugby Australia, um, and I think that the high-performance director will be key. Not only key to overseeing the whole of the high-performance, but key to the appointment of the Wallabies coach next time around and see what happens with that one. Matty, remember that comedian from Hey Hey It's Saturday, Shane Bourne? <laughs> yes, I do. Origin says Dan should be on a Saturday. Speaking of Hey Hey It's Saturday, no. Nah. No. Nah. Wednesday or Sunday for me. Brenton wants it on a Friday so he can go out and celebrate afterwards. Hasn't figured out what happens when they lose because it'd be a long weekend, but I'm happy with where it's at on Wednesday. If you are going to move it, then I'd put it out to Sunday and Sunday only. That's where you've got to get the the biggest amount of eyeballs. We're having some troubles getting hold of Phil Murphy over there in the US, but there's plenty to talk about in the NFL. Like I mentioned, we've got uh, Kansas City Chiefs and Eagles um, once again with the two best starts to the season in the NFL. Seven and two, the defending champs against the Eagles, eight and one at the moment. There's a little bit of drama too around the Chargers. Their coach, Brandon Staley, is under pressure after their loss to the Packers. He got into a heated exchange with rep- reporters in the post-game press conference, which is kind of nothing too unusual, but they frown on it from the highest order there. So I'll try and find what that back and forth was. The coaches that we've been talking about and the pressure that they find themselves under here and across all sports is just ridiculous when you think about it in American football terms and then go to the college level, which is obviously one level below NFL, but I would I would say is more pressure for coaches. Big money. And they're dropping like flies over there. Some on guaranteed contracts that are worth $90 million. Guaranteed, fully guaranteed contracts. College football coaches. Don't have to do another thing. Don't have to win another match. Doesn't matter what happens, they get that money. It's crazy. The New York Jets are still waiting for Aaron Rodgers to recover from his Achilles injury. Happened so early. They're about to drop Zach Wilson for Thursday night's game against the Miami Dolphins. So young Zach comes in um, much, much earlier than he would have thought. And Aaron Rodgers didn't last as long as they were hoping that he did. And suspensions could be coming out of Sunday's game between the Jets and the Bills. The Bills were 32-6 winners over the Jets, but one of their big men, Dion Dawkins, got into a skirmish with one of the Jets' defensive linemen, and it continued into the tunnel. So there's all sorts of passion that's bubbling over uh, over there in the NFL. And meanwhile, as we mentioned, in the NBA, the in-season tournament's been a big part of the early season, so has it been a success? Well, LeBron James continues to perform as one of the top players in the league. 37 points and the go-ahead free throws in the Lakers win over the Houston Rockets yesterday, all at the age of 38. Are we good to hear from the Chargers coach here? 
Yeah, let's have a little listen to Brandon Staley and see how this one played out. Under pressure, they lose to the Green Bay Packers. Then he has to go face the reporters. Normally, they're, they're pretty good, but this back and forth, well, let's have a listen to how it played out. We weren't communicated uh, well enough in that situation, and he uh, he turned them loose. I think your fan base would hear full confidence, right, in everything that you're doing. They see the product on the field, and they would, they would see a disconnect there. So why? I'm not here to talk to, to the fan base. I'm here to talk to my players, the locker room. I know that we give ourselves a chance to win every single week with the game plans that we have, okay? And we have done it here. You guys act like we've never played good defense. That's not the truth. That's not the truth. You act like we haven't made any improvements. Today in the run game, we played outstanding. We're rushing the quarterback well. What we got to do a better job of is in the passing game. And that's where our full attention is, and it's where it will continue to be. There were a lot of other things that caused us to lose today. It certainly wasn't our defense. It was the way we played as a team. We didn't play well on, enough on the red zone on offense. We dropped too many passes. Okay? We gave up a few killer sacks. Okay? We did this as a team. Stop making it about one unit because that's not what happened out there today. Our team lost, and I am fully responsible for it, and I take full responsibility. But we lost as a team today, and that's the storyline. Not a bad comeback. He was asked about uh, the disconnect here where what they've been saying and what they've been talking about versus what they've been putting out there and in that performance. And he just... I, I thought the, the key part of that is I'm not here to talk to the fan base, which might, which might cause him a bit of trouble down the line there. Well, who are you talking to? He says, oh, I'm here to talk to my team and all that. Well, not in a press conference. Surely part of the press conference is explaining to the fan base via the journalists what he was saying was, don't tell me how we lost today. I'll tell you what it's all about, but you don't tell me. I think if he had his time over again, he'd say probably take the fan base part out of it but a pretty good comeback in my opinion he made his case Brandon Staley from the Chargers feeling the pressure there and answering his case very strongly Andrew says Matty the problem with the Wallabies isn't high performance it's their grassroots no high performance team will work until the production line of quality players improve yeah which is not a bad way to look at it I would argue that the problem with the Wallabies is high performance. The problem with Rugby Australia at the moment is the grassroots. Now, yeah, the two join up in the end, but you've got one where the high-performance team isn't performing highly, and you've got the other there where the grassroots just has been left behind. And everyone knows that there's a huge disconnect in between those two. So... um. Like I keep saying with Rugby Australia, we constantly point out where their issues are. They know that better than anyone. They haven't had the answers to it. And the World Cup has magnified that to the nth degree, which is probably exactly what it needed. Otherwise, it probably would have just continued to clunk along. So now it's time for a reset. But now it's time for us to go to the SEN News. Thank you, Vanessa. Uh, One of our texters, it took a while, but we got to it. Shane Jacobson, the Dunny Man. (laughs) Nice shout-out for a Jane. One three, a Shane, rather. One three hundred, one eleven seventy. James, that's where I was going. Good morning to you, James. What have you got on this fine Tuesday morning? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, come straight after the Dunny Man. Yeah, nice one, thanks. Yeah, nice. Um... Yeah, well, regarding this second division in the soccer, um, 
once those teams get finalised, they're going to say, well, they're going to need more money, you know, for security, as someone was saying before, you know, how one club hates the other and that, and they'll violent. They're going to need to improve their grounds and maybe, you know, try to get some better players. They're going to be short of money. So my idea, so it can get up and going, is once they're in the division, they then announce that they're going to get the Chinese government to buy them out and own all their soccer clubs. And then the Australian government, well, how much they get to PNG? 60 mil? I reckon they could at least get at least 10 mil a year out of the government then to buy from the A-League or the B-League. And that's to buy really good. <laughs> Simple solution, isn't it? Yes. The Chinese government's going to buy you out, buy us out. But elbow, go here, here's another few million. Yeah, OK, I'll do more over time to help keep the deficit down. No worries, mate. You keep taxing me, that's for sure. Hey, listen. While while we're while we're freestyling on that, then well, if you if you think that's an easy get out, then well, here's an easier one. What about the Saudis? Yeah. Why don't we get the public investment fund involved in it? They'll buy it out. Um, no, because then there'll be too many people complaining about their human rights and uh, yeah. you know while they're flying on Qatar and Emirates Airlines and all that, and uh, <laughs> nah, they'll cause too much trouble. Can't only have the one. You don't need to give them in. You just need the Australian government. Elbow will go and put it. Think of how many boats he'll get out in Western Sydney then. Yeah, hey, hey, you help support our soccer club. He'll be right up and then. Mate, are you saying that are you dare saying that politics and sports collide? This is this is unbelievable. Thanks, James. Appreciate it, mate. Uh, you've taken us off in another different direction, as always. Thanks for giving us a buzz. Um Maddie, I'm a rugby league fan, hundred percent. Massive Knights fan, but I think we need the Wallabies as a team and Rugby Australia as a whole. Yeah, if nothing else, just to promote Australia as a country on the international stage, says Benny from Spears Point. I'm a rugby league fan too, and I'm a, I'm a rugby union fan. I think that there's absolutely room for both. I don't see any purpose at all. I, I get the corporate responsibility from those in positions of power to try and um, be the dominant factor in this, to win the business fight. But as a sport, we need rugby union in this country to continue to survive. We need to provide the platform for youngsters who want to play sport, who might not particularly want to play soccer, football, who might not particularly want to play rugby league, who are interested in rugby union. And we need to provide that platform for it. And let's not forget the wonderful sporting history that we've had. All of those wonderful opportunities. Now, what I don't buy into these days is rugby just standing there saying, well, we've, we're an international game and you can go over to here and there and you can travel the world and all this kind of stuff. Get past that. Get back to what the game can offer as a game, as a sport, and start building from that way up. Because I think the days of trying to compete with those points only are long gone. Professional sports are professional sports. You've got to run them professionally. Make sure that you've got the fan base. Make sure that you've got the grassroots support base. Make sure that you've got the money and everything. So when little Johnny or little Jenny decide to go this way or that way, when they zig instead of zag, then you're the person or you're the sport where they're going to go to. So I I agree with you. I think the Wallabies and Rugby Australia, Rugby in Australia, need to continue. And the job is a big one. Phil War and now Dan Herbert, it's over to you on that. And they're prepared to take on that challenge. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in those positions. 
Righto. Um, now, because of the quirkiness of, of where we're at in the SEN um, network at the moment with some rebuilding going on and so, you know, broadcasting remotely, Brenton's there um, making sure that everything's running smoothly, which is running up through via the Goldie. And we've got the maestro who's been in charge. 2 a.m. Tommy's taken off on an adventure. Where is he, mate? South of France? Something? I don't know where he's gone. He's, he's gone off somewhere. Um, which means that we find you. Where do we find you, maestro? So I'm in my apartment, Matt, producing from home, working from home. This is the first time I've ever done this in my uh, short career in the media. And it's been very different. I don't particularly like it. I don't know... You know, it's, uh, yeah, I don't particularly enjoy it. You don't get the the banter in the office with everyone giving you yeah. uh, rubbish for Manly being dreadful or Tom, you know, going off on his long rants about the Roosters, which are just as consistent as they are on air, off air. Um, yeah, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit lonely, Matt. I only get oh. to see you down a, down a computer screen. Well, that's right. I don't that's like right. it. Uh, so the work from home, you, you're not a fan for the WFH yeah. work from home. Now, Maestro's madness, however, can you enlighten me on yeah. the Everton situation there? In a nutshell, <laughs> I, I, when I saw this pop up the other day, I went, wow, this is a really big story. They've been docked 10 points. Um, you're, you've got a certain number that the Premier League says you can lose this much money over the course of uh, three seasons and essentially they've fallen outside of that. So it's the reverse salary cap, so to speak, and a lot of that comes into play. My question about it is, and you're heavily involved in this side of the sporting world, my question about it is, what happens next? What happens when Man City, Mm. for instance, get busted, and they've got a whole stack of charges lying in front of them? I'm not saying that they're going to, but what happens if? And what happens when somebody else does something that's worse than Everton? Ten points is a huge... Huge deduction. It's the biggest penalty. All hell could break yep. loose here. Absolutely. So you've got two sort of two outcomes that happen here, Matt. The first you mentioned, which is Manchester City have 115 of these breaches hanging over their heads still. Chelsea are also under investigation for alleged breaches while they were under the ownership of Roman Abramovich, the Russian oligarch who's accused of making secret payments to shell companies owned by... Um, himself in order to circumvent the financial fair play regulations. I don't want to get into the weeds there. Mm. But basically, Chelsea and City's alleged crimes are a lot... Uh, they they make Everton's pale in comparison, basically. So if they're found guilty, there's a likelihood that they'd both be at, in threat of, of relegation. Now, if that was to occur, the EFL, who run the second down to the fourth tier, the rest of the professional um, divisions of English football, are not obliged to accept them as members. So you you have the sporting sanction in that term that the Premier League could hand down, but then the fact that the English Football League, which run the rest of the competitions, are not obliged to accept them as members, which means they could be playing down in the National League against teams like Wrexham, against teams like Scunthorpe, against teams like Chesterfield, uh, club, tiny football clubs scattered throughout England, and there are plenty of them. Uh, but that would make... It would be unprecedented in English football, not in world football. Of course, we had the the Calciopoli scandal in Italy in the mid-2000s where Juventus were 
sent down uh, to Serie B and had to work their way up. Rangers um, went into administ- fell into administration about a decade ago and were relegated down to the, the third tier of Scottish football. So it's not unprecedented yeah. in that sense, but I think it would be beyond the scale of anything we'd seen before in world football and the fact that they would have to be promoted four times potentially in order to get back into the Premiership. Now, the other side so, of this... Yeah. The other so side why, of this is the on, clubs on, that just, have been relegated. One, yeah, go for it. Go for sorry, it. Sorry, mate. One more. One more. Why? Why come so? Why come down so hard on Everton there? Uh, partially to set to set an example, I think is is the first thing. The other thing is that <laughs> that the Premier League Commission have been investigating these sort of claims for nearly a decade now. If you look back to where the start of some of these Chelsea breaches particularly are, they're back in the signing of Ian Robin, which is in the late 2000s, um, without getting, without basically securing a. a enough proof to to hand down these punishments so there's that side of things in terms of well when you're investigating something for that long sometimes you just want a, a, an easy kill which Everton look to be city certainly won't be that because of the pro, because of the <laughs> the uh, skill of the lawyers that they're able to hire but the other part of this Everton uh, saga now is that the clubs that have been relegated in the past two seasons during the during the time that these breaches are reported to have taken place uh, have threatened to take legal action and a, a court ruling early this year ruled that there are clubs uh, clubs including Leeds, Leicester, Burnley, Southampton that could apply for compensation through the Premier League and Everton um, if they are found guilty. Now there's been no reports that they're, they're going to take that legal action at this stage but it opens up a whole other can of worms if they elect to do that and then the City and Chelsea um, penalties are handed down because you're talking about years and years of titles for Manchester City and certainly quite a few under uh, for Chelsea under Abramovich as well it's um, yeah the the implications I don't think we can see the end of them at this point that's how widespread they are big big drama yeah good summary mate really good summary so there you go it's just Perhaps the tip of the iceberg in this situation. 0457 736 736. He's working from home. He doesn't really like it that much, but the maestro, we managed to get up to the penthouse suite there and find him in his beautiful villa, and the phone connection's nice. Take a breather, mate. We'll be back after this. Don't forget the global game tonight, folks, uh, with all of the latest football news. The Socceroos playing Palestine Tomorrow morning in Kuwait City, so the neutral venue for that one, and there will be a lot of storylines out of that, you would think. Um, Matty, unless Rugby Australia take the blinkers off, this from Mark, they're never going to move forward. The focus on investing only from players in the GPS system is killing them. So is the inclusive board made up of old boys from those GPS schools. Um, New South Wales rugby needs to get its act together. They wasted close to a million dollars streaming Division 2, 3, 4 and subbies on a platform called Clutch TV. I watched a bit of that, Mark, um, which eventually went bankrupt, you're saying, and charged all clubs over the state for their service. Not everyone who loves rugby is from GPS schools. Um, Thanks, Mark. If you remember a few weeks ago now at the back end of the World Cup, we went through all of the – a number of the major issues – facing Rugby Australia 
from the top down and especially rugby versus its competitors where I took you through a lot of the metrics for instance that the competitors are hitting that rugby's nowhere near and it all screams to grassroots and club level and all of that kind of stuff it is a huge huge undertaking and as we discussed yesterday it's quite ironic that the game that needed to make itself known and make a heck of a lot of noise leading into the world cup signing big name players bringing on eddie jones having the whole show bing bang let's get out there and get on the front foot they needed that they absolutely needed that now ironically need the silence, I reckon. I reckon they need the downtime where there's no rugby now until the start of next year. No Wallabies until, what, July next year, June, July. They need that downtime to get back to work. They haven't been sitting around twiddling their thumbs. But now's the time over the next three or four months that are going to be crucial to Australian rugby right across the board. And you'd hope that when we get to three or four months down the track, that all of that hard work will start to pay off. I want to see them succeed. Matty, I know this gets asked a lot, says the Spring Farm Eagle, but is there anything that can be done to make Bathurst a Formula One track? Uh, F1 in Bathurst would be amazing. It'd kill the Bathurst, imagine, uh, Bathurst 1000. Mm, don't know about that. Don't think so. Imagine the money that it would bring to the area. It'd be good to see a Formula One car go down the dipper. Um, yeah, would it be lovely to see all that? Formula One cars have done laps around there. No drama, dramas about it. You couldn't hold a Formula One race there. No way in the world. Also, do we know if testing this winter is going to be televised again? I'm not sure. Uh, they televise everything at the moment, so you'd be able to find it somewhere, um, either on Fox or F1 TV. They televise the lot. Testing's testing, though. And to be brutally frank about it, testing can be really boring you're going to get more out of actually just sitting there watching the timing screens on your app (laughs) than seeing cars go around. You'll get the regulation um, launches where they'll talk about this car's an evolution, not a revolution. You'll get the new livery, which is a bit of a strip of red going that way instead of this way. So it'll all be the same. And then testing, once we get to the nitty-gritty, is all about the timesheets. And you look for those with with, with the pace. And remember, all the way back to the start of this season, we saw how quick and how far ahead the Red Bulls and Max Verstappen and his Red Bull in particular were ahead of the field. And I said before a race was done, look out, folks. This guy's going to win it by as far as you can kick your hat. So testing answers the major question about pace, and I would expect Red Bull to be much further down the road again that time around. In terms of Formula 1 at Bathurst, it makes a romantic story, doesn't it? Logistically, and it, it just won't work. just can't work. And I don't matter. Even if you could get Formula 1 there, even if you could somehow get a Formula 1 race around that place without them spearing off into the sky, <laughs> going up or down the hill, the Bathurst 1000 remains regardless. Thanks for the text, Spring Farm Eagle. Appreciate that. Six and a half minutes to midday. Uh, final text before I go. This one from Eddie says, Matty, my father was at a lunch. Former All Blacks coach Graham Henry was asked why the Wallabies can't win the Bledisloe Cup. He said because there are 35 NRL and AFL teams. 
that are recruiting top athletes. Just part of the um, part of the problem, isn't it? Thank you for that, Eddie. Appreciate it. Just a final one too. I, I noticed this on social media in the last couple of hours. It's popped up. ESPN Quick Info. The website has put up a little post saying David Warner's ODI World Cup career ends with a glorious record. Wonderful Warner goes through his runs and strike rate and average and high score, 178 and 600s and 550s and a wonderful photo of D Warner with his arms up. And Davey Warner's retweeted it and said, who said I'm finished? (laughs) Question mark, question mark. Ah, yes. David Warner just... Continually stirring the pot. Love it. Absolutely love it. Thanks for your input today. Curveball Tuesday was a lot of fun. Be back to do it all again tomorrow. Jimmy Smith is coming up. Stick around right here on SEN. Bye for now.